Have you ever listened to our podcast, John? Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I have them queued up, and I have not That's not helpful. Them. I mean, it's a little helpful if you've subscribed. It'd be better if you listened, but if you've subscribed, that's... I've heard the snippets. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, I am one of your hosts, and I'm joined by... Scott Nelson, I am the other host. The ever-illustrious Scott Melson. Dr. Scott Melson. Dr. Scott Melson. It's true. And today on the pod, a new voice, someone else joining us, John Rourke. John Joseph Rourke, the 17th. The 4th. The 4th. My, my apologies. Thank you. The, but like the fourth, I'm from the future. The 4th A. A, right? Because Cause there's another one. He might be the 4th B, oh, based guess. on what he just described. That's anyway, true. Anyway, John is... On our board, he's our board member, he's our board treasurer, actually, and he is joining us today because we're a week late, but we're doing a Veterans Day episode of the podcast, uh, and so we wanted to invite the veteran that is nearest us um, in our friend group, certainly not the only one that we know, but um, thought it'd be nice to have you on. So thanks for joining That's us. That's great. I appreciate that we're that close. <laughs> um, so today on the episode, we're going to certainly talk with John, and we've made jokes about your name already. But your wife always refers to you as Joe, and so I've just started referring to you as Rourke so that there's no confusion when I talk to other people. Which is apropos if we're going to be talking about veterans things, because in the service, you are your last name. This so. is true. Also in football. Okay, Although when I played enough, football, my enough. coach always called me Andy Moore. Is it possible just... there was more than one Moore? No, not on my team. It was in Minnesota. There was a lot of uh, Krasinski's and... Gundersons? Nice. Gundersons, Andersons, lots of Andersons. I didn't play football. I was on the wrestling team. I really? will. Uh, yeah, I was a wrestler. Uh, I will withhold what my coach <laughs> called me. <laughs> uh, for, fair enough. For, that's probably for the best. So um, so also on the show, uh, besides visiting with, uh, with John for a little bit, we're going to uh, also talk about what's happened thus far this week. Today we are recording this on Wednesday at about 7 o'clock in the evening, uh, Wednesday the 15th. The House has voted. The Both Jacobs have met. The Senate has not yet voted. And so it's possible we might have to do a brief emergency pod, which I know Scott is really excited about. I love emergency pods. Um, it'll be shorter, but we may have to do that come Friday afternoon or something. So, uh, But we're going to start on maybe hopefully a more positive note by talking with John. Uh Mr. Rourke, what motivated you to join the military in the first place? I think that's a that's a perfectly poignant question. And I actually, so a lot of the folks in my family also served in the military one capacity or the other. Um, some of them were drafted. Um, got, my godfather was in World War II. Um, my father and his brothers were shortly thereafter. So uh, I also went to military school. A small military school in Virginia. For high school or college? For high school. Okay. And uh, was recruited a little bit to um, a service uh, school, uh, but decided not to go. I kind of struck out on my own. And I remember being in college. Um, this would have been early 2003, late 2002. And there were some recruiters that had come to the school. And uh, this was in a very liberal part of the country. And in the Northeast? In the Northwest, of all places. Really? I was living in the Northwest. Where the haven't you lived? Uh, Florida? Have you lived in Florida? 
I have not lived in Florida, nor right. do I desire no. to. <laughs> Me um, either. It's the humidity. It's not a lot of personal. Irish Americans in Florida. Is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. They retired there. But it is very humid, and that doesn't suit me. So, just feel like it'd be a lot of like sunburns. Yeah, good call. Yeah. Fair skinned. There you go. That must be it. <laughs> there you go. So, and anyway, I was at school, and uh, the recruiters were there, and there were a number of students that had organized a protest, and the protest turned a little. It took a turn for the worse, and they ended up throwing books at the recruiters, and I think I had this moment of. Um, patriotic epiphany and uh, thought that well you know there was an impending conflict I felt like coming up and which turned out to be true I'm not saying I'm, I'm a prophet <laughs> I'm just observant I think and uh, I walked that day to the recruiting station um, and signed up really so you had like sympathy for the recruiters for being attacked and decided I, wanted... think, I think that I had some some feelings that that the younger generation was not going to sign up in droves. This was post nine eleven. Okay. Okay. I was, I don't think I was of age uh, when nine eleven happened, two thousand and one. So just, just maybe right on yeah. the cusp. And then, um, but in two thousand and three, with the what I thought was an impending war coming in another country, um, that being Iraq, I, I didn't see. I didn't see a lot of people. Maybe I was a victim of my location and circumstance, but I didn't see people signing up in droves when I got to the recruiting no, station. I, I think it's true. I mean, yeah. I had a cousin oh, that signed up, but he uh, after nine eleven. But he's one of two people I've known that well, three counting you, I guess. But yeah, it was not. Everyone saw it coming, but no one wanted to sign up. Yeah, right. So I I took the opportunity to to join right at that time, right before the. Uh, the beginning of the Iraq conflict. What uh, what branch of the service did you join? I was in the army. Why did what was there a particular reason that you chose army versus you know navy, marine corps, like what air force? What was that like a family decision or how did how did that play into it? Well, to be fair, both of my uh, my uncle and my father that we we were from a long army lineage. Okay, sure. And I was a um, at military school in high school, I was, I was part of the army JROTC. Mm, and sure. so I knew a lot about sort of, um, army regulations and th- things that would have come into play. Uh, put me a little bit ahead of my class there. Uh, suppose if I had signed up to be in the Navy, I wouldn't have known as much, um, at the time, but I did actually walk all the way to the, uh, Marine Corps recruiting office and it was closed. And I, and I stood there yanking on the door or knocking on the door or whatever. And it's, it's raining cause it's the Pacific Northwest. And, and I, a guy sticks his head out from the army office and he goes, can I help you? And I go, well, I'm here to, here to sign up for the Marine Corps. And he said, well, come on in get warm. <laughs> and, uh, sort of the rest, the rest, the rest is, history. is history as they How say. Funny. You know? I, I did uh, air force ROTC for, I guess just one year in high school up in Minnesota. My grandfather was an air force, uh, retired, uh, master sergeant. My dad did a brief stint in the army, but I mean, really just three years. Um, but I signed up because it was called aerospace science and I was a big nerd and I thought that sounds cool. And then I got in and was like, Oh, it's ROTC. All right. Well, I'll wear the uniform every Wednesday. It's fine. Uh, but I had no aspirations of signing up. So I applaud you on taking the initiative in the rain, going to a locked door and still following through on that. Yeah, Sure. No, absolutely. I, I echo that. So I, I did not do ROTC either in high school or college. I, uh, I thought, I thought about it. Um, I gave it a lot of serious consideration. I considered, um, a couple of the service academies for college. Um, 
looked really hard at Texas A&M with the thought of being yeah. in RTC and being in the core of Texas A&M and for a variety of reasons, mostly just because I, my kind of reasoning ended up being, and this was after 9-11, but I don't think the, the conflict in Iraq was not uh, quite as imminent as it was by 2003, but for me the decision was, man, I'm 18 and this is, seems like a really long a really long commitment and that's something that I have uh, wrestled with a lot for the last 15 years that uh, decision not saying I regret it not saying I you know I just something that I, I thought about doing and didn't do and I've looked back on that several times and been like man what if I kind of had gone down that path well you know and I think that's one of the things that maybe uh, the armed forces doesn't doesn't communicate as well. It's like there's a ton of ways to serve, right? And somebody with a particular skill set, such as being, you know, a, a doctor, a lawyer, you know, those types of special skills. When I joined the military, I didn't have any skills. I mean, I could march, I could shoot, I could do all those things because of how I was raised, but I didn't have a, a skill set like you have now and certainly nothing that was in demand uh, to the military. And, and, and we do... Uh, see all the time a need for people with special skills to go into the military and, and serve their time. So your time is not up, my friend. <laughs> you mean they'd still, you they'd have still, plenty of they'd time. still take me? Yeah, What is the cutoff on that for when you can enlist? Um, so there are waivers to enlistment depending if you have one of those special skill sets. Right. And so I think that it's been extended. The last, the last time I saw it was extended to 42. Okay. And there's always the uh, the uniform services that you never hear of, right? right. And one of those sure. being the uh, National Public Health Corps. Public Health Corps. Yeah. I had no awareness of that until I started working in HIV care. And there's a, a pretty significant group of uh, of public um, public health uh, employees in Washington. And so the first conference I went to was really like. All these what? people walking around in uniform. Yeah, and like, like at people? the time, the woman that was the head of the HIV and AIDS bureau um, was a member of the of the public health service, and so she had like a little entourage kind of that followed her around, and it was really fascinating. So I started reading all about it, and I was like, I had no idea. Yeah, I know. Uh, Doctor Vizak Murthy, who was the Surgeon General under Barack Obama and briefly under mm-hmm. President Trump. Um, I was reading about him one day. I clicked on his Wikipedia page because he's like, I mean, the guy's 34, I think 35 and is the like chief doctor for the nation, which, you know, makes you feel like you haven't really accomplished anything in your life. Right. Um, I click on his Wikipedia page and he's like vice admiral, Dr. Vivek Murthy. And I was like, what, what? What? It's like, Oh, so when he was confirmed as surgeon general, it like comes with this commission in the uniformed, uh, Public Health Service Corps, and apparently it's right. a three-star position. Well, that my my predecessor in my job now is a is a LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker, and he when he went to go, he went up to go work in Washington, and he said, once you're there, there's three types of people in like the HIV and AIDS bureau. He said there are public health service, there are politicians, and then there's actual like clinical people. And the public health service and politicians are the ones that get promoted because one of them has a ladder to climb, like a structured system. The other one is politics, and there's more or less a system there. All the clinical folks just end up swapping around to different lateral jobs, and you might hope to get promoted once or twice in your career, but everyone else like kind of moved past you because there was a, a system in place, and I thought that was really interesting. He doesn't work there anymore, probably yeah. for that reason. 
I can see. Yeah, I can see that. that makes sense. Now, LCS, that's something that carries a terminal um, degree and licensure like that. That is a commissionable um, field right. for the Public Health Corps. And so if there's LCSWs out there, doctors out there, um, psychologists out there that are interested in serving their country, maybe the um, armed services are not the, you know, the way to go for them right now. This, I, you know, the Public Health Corps is out there and is always in need of people. It's my understanding they're always in need of people. Sure. So how long did you serve altogether? Four years. Four years. And what was your... Uh, what was your rank when you discharged? I was a specialist. I was a, I, I I had enlisted, much to the chagrin, I think, of my father, who wanted me to take a commission out of college and right. instead of drop out to join. <laughs> right. um, no, so I, yeah, no, I was a, a specialist, which is just a, a lower enlistment. Yeah. So what is what is the process like? So you're in college. You're you were a freshman or sophomore at the time. I was a freshman. So you're a freshman in college. You go in the uh, you go to the army recruiting office. You sign on the dotted line. Government, so I'm sure you signed on many dotted lines. But what, like, what's the process? Like, what happens next? Well, you go to a. Um, well, first of all, you, you try to work out what it is that you're going to do. There's a standardized test in the, the, ASVAB. the ASVAB, as you know, right? And that will determine what's uh, called a general technical score, or what it used to be called. I, I think it's the same. Um, and that will say, okay, you meet the basic criteria for entrance into certain fields. And then you sort of have a negotiation process um, where you say, okay, I want to be a, an infantry uh, rifleman or I want to be a, a, a doctor or whatever. And you have to make sure that you, you meet all that. And you go through a processing station and you make as many trips down there as it takes for you to, to get through the process. They, they put us up in a hotel and we weren't allowed to leave. And I think I spent three or four days in processing. You know, they check your your vision, your um, general health, and uh, go through basically a contract negotiation with you. Say, um, you know, maybe this is what we're offering, um, and then sign on many dotted lines. So, and now you were all, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit. You were in, you weren't in ordinance disposal, right? You were in, but you were in something where you like blow stuff up. Right. Well, that's right. I, well, I, <laughs> that's so, so I was a combat engineer, which um, that's right. is a, you know, the primary mission of combat engineers are obstacles, whether it's creating them or removing them. And on occasion, that allows us to uh, employ the use of explosives, uh, booby traps, things like that. And then the secondary mission of combat engineers is to act as an infantryman. So we were uh, trained to do both things. And um, yes, I blew many things up. Did you choose combat engineering or was that kind of, was that, a, was that on a list of options you got to pick from or were you kind of told that's what you're going to do? Like I, I had a, I was fortunate enough to have a good enough general technical score that I, I really could have uh, done anything. Um, the, depending on the time that you uh, enlist, there may be a bonus here or a bonus there for right. something that they have a shortage of folks signing up for. Uh, engineers was not one of those things. Um, but, uh, EOD school, which they did try, you know, gauged my interest in, um, EOD meaning ex- explosive ordnance disposal. And, um, it had that's a, like the hurt locker stuff, right? Well, hurt locker is a movie, right? But is that like, that's what the, <laughs> isn't that what the movie is about? That, that has for the listeners, Hollywood, for the listeners. <laughs> Hollywood stylizations of what EOD. Is. I haven't actually seen the movie. Well, I'm not attesting know. to it. <laughs> so you referenced it that you haven't actually I'm seen. I'm just saying my understanding was that for anyone 
for for either one of our listeners who may not know ordinance disposal or both of them. <laughs> that's you know, uh, I apologize that uh, sound you just heard. That was our other friend of the pod, my dog Juno, electing to walk through and shake herself. Right. So, <laughs> like thanks. you do. Thanks, Juno. Yes, anyway. I believe that the Hurt Locker did portray uh, the job explosive ordinance disposal. Okay, that's. Uh, which became a really in-demand profession given sure. the nature of the battlefield sure. in the Middle East. So, nice. um, I was going to ask, where did you serve most of your time while you were in the service? Uh, I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and I believe that I spent a total of three weeks in between basic training and, and my advanced training right. and, uh, and arriving in Iraq. Wow. Not, yeah. not very long. So I, I did not spend a lot of time at Fort Hood. And we we did our deployment, our first deployment in 2003 and 2004. And uh, when they decided that they were going to do rotations of, of uh, troops over there, um, we came back for a year. And then I was on the advance party back to Iraq in 2005 and 2006. And so um, I probably spent more time out of the country than I did at Fort Hood. Interesting. So were you in Iraq for most of that time then? From 03 to 04, and then again from 05 to 06. Okay. And they've, from my understanding, they've shortened the uh, the stints that troops do overseas. It used to be a longer time, and now like each deployment is, <laughs> sorry, for listeners at home, the dog is trying to climb on my lap, and she's like a husky. Is she a husky, Scott? We're not sure. We think that she's probably a husky Malamute mix or something. Could be a wolf. Like There's a wolf on my lap. You know, so it's funny. Um, we had another dog uh, prior to Juno that we he got sick and we recently uh, lost him about six months ago. We had Baron for six years, and for six years he tried uh, to kill all of the squirrels in our backyard with absolutely no success. Um, like he didn't even get close. About three hours ago, Juno met me at the back door. Um, with a very dead, very large squirrel clamped in her jaws, and I never heard her bark. I never heard a sound. Like, I don't know how she got it or when she got it, um, but apparently she's a much better hunter than Baron was. So maybe there is some wild dog in there somewhere. Perhaps. I hope my insurance company's not listening. <laughs> if they are, we'd accept your sponsorship. <laughs> Sorry. And your subscription. Right? That's right. That's right. And don't forget to rate us on That's iTunes. Right. Scott will appreciate that plug. So you're in Iraq for most of the time. Tell us a couple of questions. Some are serious, some are not. What is the best and worst military food you ever were served? I wish I had more time to think about that. <laughs> you you kind of have to go through the Rolodex of meals that you had. And you mean something that was issued to me by the military. Right, yeah. Not, as opposed to... Not KFC in Iraq, unless it was... Is there a KFC in Iraq? They have. I know they have McDonald's. Okay, well, that's a, a very different part than the part I was in. I, yes. I heard they had a Burger King at a base that wasn't too far from where we were at, and we would sometimes sneak over there for hot, hot chow. We've never had, I've never had Burger King in the Middle East, but I imagine that that would have been on this list under the worst. <laughs> it's just a guess. Who knows? Could be um, great. So we ate a lot of meals ready to eat, especially in uh, 2003, before there was a lot of infrastructure. Right. And so we ate a lot of the you know meals in a bag. And I remember that the number 12, um, which is a black bean burrito, was phenomenal. And it came with a really good sauce. 
All right, number 12, MRE. I may order some just to check it out. That sounds delicious. Well, been, I, could, I could go for black. Yeah, this has right been now. 14 years, so uh, whether still, those numbers have changed, you might want to, before you order, before you hit Blindly black, order. Yeah. I have a number 12. <laughs> But the, the black bean burrito MRE was pretty good. Now, the, the sad thing about MREs is they come, as, they come as complete meals. Right. And there's always some element that's good in an MRE. And if they could just get it all into one version, right. you know, where the sides and the dessert are, are, where it's are all delicious. Good. Yeah. As then opposed to like, oh be, man, the main the main course here sucks, but the dessert's incredible. Yeah, I think we'd be, be onto something there if we could get that done. Uh, and the worst one, uh, you know, one through eleven probably. No, I don't. There was a, a hamburger one that was uh, pretty bad. That's number one. Uh, and well, I think it was number eight actually. No, oh. well. And uh, you know, you never got to. You know, you just got the boxes. You didn't get to pick them. Right. But, you, know, you know. Right. You eat what you get. Yeah. And so I remember that we got far more one through twelves because that's how they came. One through twelve in one box. Thirteen through twenty-four in another box. We got far more one through twelves than we ever got thirteen through twenty-fours, and that's why I'm more familiar with one through twelve. Fair enough. Um, what? Uh, maybe tell us about some of the special people you met. Now you've told me one story that I want you to tell, because um, you got to drive some VIPs around. I did. Oh, Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. <laughs> Uh, on occasion, uh, and the, the, it, w- it happened a lot more in the second tour once there was some, some infrastructure and um, they were able to incorporate some USO stuff. Toby Keith, by the way, who, if, if, he, if he's listening, we appreciate that visit in 2006, I think. Mm-hmm. That was peak Toby Keith. Was it? Uh, pretty much. I was pretty yeah. cut off, but yeah. I do remember in hindsight that that was Toby Keith that came and uh, played a couple of songs. Yeah. yeah, I think he's done a lot of like USO. I think he's done a few yeah, he's USO real big. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, what happened was is that I had a first sergeant um, and I was on his security detail and he came into my, we'll call it an area uh, where I slept one day and said, you're on security detail, meet some VIPs over at the landing site or whatever. And, uh, I'm sitting there, you know, with the, with all the gear and the protective stuff and all that kind of stuff, you know, cause you got to bring vests for the VIPs sure. and all that. And you're thinking maybe it's going to be the secretary of defense or a president sure. or something like that. No, it's six foot seven or so diamond Dallas page, professional wrestler from world championship wrestling circa the mid nineties. <laughs> that, that is, that is fantastic. And, and, uh, I was to guard him for the remainder of his time. Diamond Dallas post. Page needs a guard? Uh, several, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case things get weird. Yeah, someone shows up with a folding chair out of the blue. <laughs> you never know <laughs> like, how this can go. I mean, I'm just saying he's, he's a six foot seven professional wrestler. Like, the Nasty Brothers are hiding behind can, the next corner. So. You, know, you, can, you know, the strange thing is that there were other people in that group, and I couldn't tell you who one of them were, um, at this moment, but I do remember Diamond Dallas Page. He's a heck of a nice guy, and he challenged us to a push-up contest. Did you, who, who won? Uh, well, there were two push-up contests. The first one was just a straight-up push-up contest, how many you can do in two minutes, something like that. Well, this is our bread and butter in the United States Army, especially in the combat arms. We do lots of push-ups, and we do them in two-minute increments. Now, he's probably in his 50s, right? Like, sure. 
you know, he has, I'm not he has no business a, getting in a uh, push, push-up contest with uh, a bunch of eighteen-year-olds. Well, now, 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 hold on, now. Right. Uh, so, uh, so you think on the, right? So here's how the story goes: on the first iteration of the push-up contest, he was beaten. Okay, he was beaten because we could go fast and we could do, and we were used to doing them in two minutes for the sure the physical fitness test. Sure, but then he demanded then, a, a rematch with altered parameters. Yes, he had a system. And uh, we got to chatting, and I asked him because you know, for whatever he was in his mid fifties, I thought he looked great. You know, sure. I mean, he was very, uh, very much in shape at the time. And I asked him, you know, what he was doing to stay in shape, and he said he was developing this system of working out. And one of the things that he developed was what he called the five second push up. And I hope I'm not infringing on any of his trademarks. We're giving him free airtime uh, here. Yeah. So both listeners are taking notes. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. And and it was five seconds going down into the push up, and then five seconds coming back up. Truly, a ten he, second push up. Right. I get, well. I'm just saying. I'm, are you going to argue with them at that point? I'm not a branding expert, but I know a thing. It's <laughs> a ten second push up. Not good at the new math, but five seconds plus five seconds, right. ten seconds. None the, go ahead, continue. Let's call it. I've ten, tried this. Let's call it the ten second push up. That for sounds. The purposes of this conversation, that sounds hard. It was very hard, and everyone that challenged him, and but by the way, he keeps going. Right. It's not I mean, just he takes one. Takes on right. multiple challengers, and dispatches them all with relative ease. Yeah. With what seemed like relative ease. Now, in, inside he could have been dying, but he didn't show it. You know? right. Okay, so I have this is a this is this is a stupid question. It's it's got a Hollywood reference that I is have. it the Hurt Locker? I'm sh- no, <laughs> it's worse. It's worse. Okay, I, I'm sure it has absolutely no bearing. In fact, I'm not even so sure it has no bearing to the actual military, other than my question. So you said that that this was your first sergeant that came over and told you that you were on security detail for this. Is that right? Yes. There is a movie starring Polly Shore called In the Army Now. <laughs> this is way worse I think, than I heard long. I think Andy Dick is also in that movie, right? <laughs> That's true. One of the featured characters in that movie is a first sergeant. And I have never understood what makes a first sergeant and how a first sergeant is different than any other sergeant. So that is my question. What oh. when what is a what is a first sergeant? When you say this is my first sergeant who told me I was on security detail, what does that mean? So uh, I think that's a great question. Probably didn't need the Polly Shore reference <laughs> to ask it, but you could have just asked yeah. your first sergeant. Yeah. So a first sergeant, uh, the colloquialism, of course, in the military is top. We we call him top because he's top dog, and uh, in uh, in your company. You have enlisted folks, and you have officers, and you have uh, platoons there. And each platoon has a platoon sergeant, which is the the highest uh, enlisted person, and a platoon leader, which is an officer. And then the company uh, of all those platoons has a first sergeant, which is the highest ranking enlisted person in the company, and then a captain who's the, the captain of the company. I see. So the first sergeant is the sergeant who's the boss of all the platoon sergeants. Yeah, that's right. All right. And and by virtue of everyone else. Sure. Right. The so highest ranking enlisted person in a company? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and that that is no uh, small feat. Those are I, career folks. Sure. Typically, you know, 
they they have my first sergeant by the time of the Diamond Dallas Page incident uh, was a 19, 20 year guy. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. They, uh, they've been around. They know what's going on. Yeah. Some would argue, and I would back them up, that, that they're really in charge of the company and not the captain. I think, I mean, so, in, you know, I think um, that's talking to friends of mine that have served both in the enlisted and the commission level. That sounds right. I mean, and it's, and it's, it's very similar to, um, honestly, it's very similar to kind of how things work um, in medicine, right? Like, so you'll have these people, you know, folks like they finish medical school, they've got their degree, they've got their license, they're, they're a doctor, but, uh, you know, they've been a doctor for six months and you put them on call in the uh, ICU uh, and uh, stuff kind of starts going downhill. You know, they have a lot of knowledge, they have a lot of training, um, they kind of theoretically know what to do in certain situations, but I can tell you that if you're that uh, person who's on call six months into residency and stuff's going bad, it's really helpful to have a nurse there who uh, has been an ICU nurse for about 25 years to kind of, hey, this is what you want to do next, right? Right. Hey, this is what you need to do next, right? Um, and I've heard that it's it's a very similar dynamic in the military that you have you know, folks that are senior uh, uh commission senior uh enlisted personnel who have spent 20 25 years doing this and they uh, are essential to proper functioning uh, of, the, yeah, of, absolutely. The, of the unit sort of its own little puppet government right sure you know it's like uh to make a reference that scott and i always enjoy i know you do as well a mrs landingham to a president bartlett or a leo to president bartlett Ind- indeed indeed really any of them anyway that's the west wing by the way for both of those listeners out there. Are you a West Wing fan, John? I was the only other board member at your... Uh, That's true. You were at the <laughs> West Wing watch party. Scott could not be there. I couldn't, I couldn't be there this past week. I couldn't be there. It was a chilly... It was a good night. I was there in spirit, though. It, it was chilly. Shibboleth episode. It was. it was. And I thought it was phenomenal. Yes. And despite the cold weather, I think we all had a great time. We did, yeah. And we're looking forward to doing some more of those in the future. And I think we've got an indoor venue lined up. More details on that to come way down the road probably in 2018 did he give him the knife he gave him the knife oh, he gave him the knife <laughs> um, so i've got one more one more question for you john and okay. it's it really is kind of a good transition point for um uh, our conversation to kind of shift over to um what um the topic of the day the state legislature um so the, the last question i had was how does your military experience affect your life today what you do today you're a social worker. Yes. Things have changed. You don't carry a gun every day, as far as I know. He's a Not social worker. Oklahoma, among many things. Possible. But yeah, so how does your military experience influence and impact your life today? I certainly think that uh, just like the, you know, the driving force behind taking a commission or enlisting in the military is, you know, a desire to serve the country, serve your fellow uh, country folk and uh, to make a difference uh, as, as to the best extent possible. So at, you, you're right, as a social worker and as somebody who works in a, pretty much exclusively in the nonprofit field, um, you know, I, I like to think that that service instilled um, that sense of duty to the country, the community, um, the, the folks that we work with, and um, those people that are in need of help. And so I think that's the thing that carried with me uh, through, and I, I bet you uh, a lot of uh, veterans would say the same thing, 
um, that, I, you know, I served once when I was in the uh, armed sure. forces and I continue to serve today just in a different capacity. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. John, anything that you just want to share? Scott, any questions that you have left? No, I, I, you know, I'm thanks. Thank you. I mean, that's, I, I have a, a ton of respect for people who, um, choose to, to put on, put on the uniform. Um, I think that one of the many, many things that makes, um, the U S unique. And I think there are both positives and, uh, negatives about this. And it's, it's something that, that doesn't always get talked about as much as it should, but that we have an all volunteer, an all volunteer military. Um, no one is, no one who is in the military is there, uh, now, right. um, I was about to lean in <laughs> right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. now, um, because they were drafted or because they were coerced or because they were forced, they all made a decision at some point to join for whatever, whatever that, um, whatever their reason was. Um, and I think that that sometimes gets lost, um, in public discussions about, um, you know, defense policy, foreign policy, military interventions, you know, how long we've been in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever, whatever the case may be. I think something that doesn't get talked about enough is that the people who are doing that work are doing it because they chose to, and it's important to them for whatever reason. So, um, I would just say thank you for making that choice. You're welcome. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I, I, you know, I like, I enjoy veterans day because I get to, uh, I routinely communicate with a lot of my, my veteran colleagues sure. and all that kind of stuff. We get to have that kind of day of story swapping and usually we break bread and, you know, get together and, and do something like that. But I, I don't think anybody is really walking around as if we've given some, uh, unpayable debt to the country or, um, that, you know, we need to be honored at every event or anything like that. And, and, you know, we all, I think made a choice to, to, express that service in that way at that time. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy to have been a part of it. Um, there were a lot of other folks that did a lot, um, more notable, I think things, um, than I did. And, uh, you know, certainly generations that came before that were involved with the draft or, you know, I think it's a, a, a healthy sign of democracy that you have an all volunteer army. And, uh, I just consider myself fortunate to, to have been a part of, such a great institution with some really good people. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. In the words of Lord Alfred Tennyson. Here it is. There's not to make reply. There's but to do and die. And that's what the military was about for, for a little while there. It hasn't been an evening with Joe until he's quoted Tennyson. That's true. I love it. I love it. Love, no. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, the three of us will jump in and discuss the bill, House Bill 1019X. This is the bill of the week. This may be the bill to rule them all. Okay, now we're back. And we're going to talk about uh, what happened this week so far, the first three days of... Uh, what are we? Today was like the 18th legislative day but this is day 178 or something. Yeah, it's really since we started discussing the budget at the beginning of May. There, By my count, that's my own thing. So one point of clarification that I 
feel it is incumbent upon me to make because I think last week and the week before we had talked about how long special session had gone on and like at 33,000 a day we've spent like a million like 1.2 it's not that so high. it's not that so it's actually as of today it's like right at half a million bucks right because it's only $33,000 a day per legislative day which is a day that they gavel in right that they gavel in and gavel out and as you said today is day like 18 19 20 something like 18. that so but um, like monday they gaveled in and gaveled out just right away and that was right. so it counted as a day right which it's still not ideal still that we've spent me. half a million dollars of our tax money um for the results that we're getting sorry andy he's gonna have to bleed that later but it's better than, you know, a million, I guess, or 1.1. 1. 1 yeah, I mean, if we're spending 500000 in order to raise, you know, $400 million, that seems all right. But that's not what we're doing. <laughs> I was going to say, except that that's not what's happening. So we could have done. So today they uh, today the House passed a bill. They passed, uh, passed Bill 1019X. So this is the... What's, what is it getting called on Twitter? The slash and slash and dash. Slash and dash. That's right. So this is cash and cuts. This is the uh, the plan. This is the plan B that you might have heard about. Um, plan A failed last week. That was the bill that failed by five votes. Uh, could not muster seventy six votes in the House to raise gross production tax and a variety of other revenue measures. So this is a bill that enacts a two point four four percent across the board cut for state agencies, with a few agencies being either held harmless or. Uh, fixed cuts that are at less a lesser percentage. Right. Um, there is some revenue in this bill, but none of it is from. Well, this kind of gets into the weeds a little bit. Uh, not very much of it is from new recurring revenue. They um, there's uh, of of new of revenue that's in this bill. There's twenty three point three million from the Constitutional Reserve Fund. That's the rainy day fund that we talk about. There's um, twenty three million from fiscal year uh, seventeen. Uh, carryover funds. Uh, th- where this comes from is the legislature, by law, as part of our constitution, is only allowed to appropriate 95% of what the revenue certification is for the upcoming fiscal year. Right. Okay, so for for instance, if the if OMES, the Office of Management and Enterprise Cert- Services, and the Treasury certified that revenue for fiscal year 18 was supposed to be a hundred million dollars then the legislature could only appropriate $95 million. It's to give a cushion. A cushion. However, if actual money coming in exceeds that $95 million, that becomes what's called a carryover fund that can be appropriated later. Right. And so, if it's, but if it's less than that it's a revenue 95, failure. then it's considered a revenue failure. And then we get mid-year cuts, right. which has happened the last two years. Two years yeah. And twice last year. Right. Once this year, twice last year. So what happened is that there was some revenue that revenue has come in recently this quarter, a little bit higher than expected. There's $23 million available from that. So they've appropriated that in those bills. That's 46.3. They're rating $60 million from revolving funds. I use the term rating. Several legislators in debate today use the firm, uh, use the term uh, theft. Um, some other legislators objected strongly to that. Some other legislators think that this is their money for the taking. That's true. I would disagree. Uh, you don't, so that's that's 100 million, and then uh, there's 48 point, roughly 48.5 million from a uh, gross production tax increase on the legacy wells bill. Now that's in here, but I thought that was a separate. 
bill that they'd passed and hadn't been passed by the Senate, right? Right. They have to pass that as a revenue bill by itself. Okay. Um, it, the revenue cannot be rolled into the appropriations bill. But they're appropriating that 48.498, assuming it's going to pass this. Right. And that is a revenue, it's a revenue increasing bill. I mean, it increases revenue, but it is removing an incentive rate, and thus it only requires 51 votes to pass, not. 76 votes right so this is really the only revenue increasing thing that they've really tried that it's only 51 there's some other options out there that they they could have changed some other things with 51 votes yeah. and they didn't. didn't even talk about it right capital gains combined corporate reporting a number of things capital gains is another 100 million a year i mean like right. we talked about that and it's that yeah. only benefits the rich right hey oh so, Andy, who, like we talked about, that, that, that it's across the board 2.44. Looking at the bill summary, I don't think there's anybody that gets cut to more than 2.44. No, if who you, gets less than a 2.4% cut? Um, so, the education does, um, common education, so K through 12. Higher ed gets the 2.44. Um, DMH, the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, they are getting less. So, it. The three agencies that were going to have the big devastating cuts, right. they are not getting those cuts. Right. Um, also, the Department of Health is not getting a cut because they are getting a $30 million emergency appropriation. So they can literally pay their employees. Yeah. So I but that, that has nothing to do with this. Bill. This has nothing to do with yeah. this. Not directly. It, that has, it's in the bill, but it's... Well, and it has to do with the annual cuts, more or less, that uh, the Department of Health has had about a 28% cut to their budget over the last eight years. Um, just like 80% of state agencies have been cut by nearly half, by 45% over the last eight years, which is bananas to me. Their State agencies have about half as much money as they did eight years ago. And if you adjust for inflation, it's probably, I mean, right at half. Um, and we're still providing services as best we can. And we still heard... At least one legislator today railing about waste and mismanagement and inefficiencies. And I have to tell you that this is one of the things that for me makes the Department of Health situation so frustrating is because there clearly has been waste and abuse and mismanagement at the Department of Health. And for that to occur right now is terrible just because it's terrible that it happened. But it also feeds this narrative that, oh, my God, that's happening at the Department of Health. Where else is this happening that we don't even know about? Right. Well, tourism, for one. But um, <laughs> which and I think just as a side, I need to look into this more. But I I think that the tourism is under the jurisdiction of the lieutenant governor. Because uh, that's part I of his deal. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. So I need to look into that because that might have implications on the governor's race. But if I could, a, a, uh, a point of personal order about the health department, uh, if I may, it's easy to point fingers and say that there's waste there because funds were misused. I know, I know, I know where you're going. And that's true. So yeah. what happened is they used federal funds to pay for state costs because... Because the state didn't give them the money they needed. Right. So the state, the state cut money to the Department of Health year after year after year, and the state Department of Health didn't cut... Services. Services. Like they didn't cut people or programs like they should have, right? They should have cut some things and they didn't. They just kind of covered it up and it sounds like they just out and out cooked the books and like lied about it on paper, which is may have criminal implications, I right. I think, for at least some individuals that are no longer there. Yeah. Um but yeah, because they the amount that they've lost is about what they're short now. So they're trying to get the money up so they can kind of get everything back to zero. 
and then keep going. So they right. are furloughing. They're still furloughing everybody, including those that are federally funded because... Because they misappropriated the federal well, dollars. Be, yeah, because they are... the federal are, dollars are gone at that point. They, well, they right? were used for something else. Right. And, so and you it, can't use them to now pay... Right, the you can't. Right, the way I said employees. to my, I talked to my staff about it today, and I said they essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul, and then when Peter was due to be paid back, Paul was broke, like he didn't get right. his paycheck, and he's like, "Hey, man, it was essentially payday lending, right? Just on like a grand scale, on uh, a thirty million dollar public agency yeah. tax dollar scale." Yeah, and it was some programs. I my hunch is they started some programs that they shouldn't have that weren't actually funded. But this is indeed fodder for those members of the legislature that would like to see line item budgeting and appropriations so they could really get their hands in there and decide what the health department and other agencies do with the money. Hashtag small government. <laughs> yes, hashtag small government. Because these are also folks, as I said the other day, who really think that government should be small and have their hands not on things. But Well, and, and just one and this just really, I mean, I, I, there's no other way to say it other than this just kind of pissed me off today. Um, listening to one of one of the representatives that was um, debating in favor, he was debating in favor of House Bill 1019 and basically saying that tax cuts should never, ever happen. He said at once, we shouldn't raise taxes because it's been tried over and over and over again and we know it doesn't work. He then went on to say that we haven't raised taxes since 1992 1990, um, in the same debate. He then went on to say that um, there's all this fraud and abuse and uh, mismanagement. One of the representatives made the point that this is happening in the Department of Health, maybe not solely, but not solely because, but in part because of things unfunded mandates. An unfunded mandate for both of our listeners, is when the government demands that something happen, right? The mm-hmm. legislator passes a right. law that says, hey, state agencies, you have to do this, but then doesn't give them any money to do that, right? Right. So one of the reps was uh, was railing against waste and abuse and then proceeds to introduce a bill saying that <laughs> yeah. the Oklahoma Highway Patrol cannot furlough troopers, cannot impose mileage limitations on where they can drive, but doesn't want to give them any additional money. Right. I just, I don't. And it's funny because those two things are, as, well, mileage isn't a fixed cost, but it's, it has a definite, it's not like they can just use, they can buy cheaper pens or use less paper or whatever. Right. Like, this is where their money goes. Salaries and gas. Well, I mean, that's, well, it was, it's fringe benefits, right? I mean, salary and fringe benefits, you know, Right, you know, it runs a department or an organization, fifteen, seventeen, twenty percent of the yeah. cost of the salary just to accommodate for things like payroll taxes, all the way through, uh, possibly if that's in your budgeting um, right. mileage, and right. you know, especially for your people that are, are are sort of remote employees that are you know kind of out and about, sure, the <laughs> highway patrol, right, who who patrol the highways around the state it's also and also protect uh elected officials and the capital and that kind of stuff the they have kind of an important job they do so the other thing about a lot of those state benefits is that they are for state employees because it's that's what's laid out maybe not in the constitution but in statute that apply across the board so you can't make changes in one agency that don't to make them out of line with all the other agencies right like they kind of have a standard package um, and so it's not like, oh, we'll just to get. stop giving them vacation time. Right. Like you can't do you that. You can't do that. And so the problem 
the problem with bureaucracy, right, is that on one hand, it creates jobs because we put in checks and balances to make sure that we do things correctly or to make sure that things have oversight and it takes people to provide oversight and those people have to be paid and then you get you know like boards or commissions and everything nothing isn't for free and so it's i you know the reason uh, what was one of the departments they were talking about today used to have uh like an oversight commission but they cut it because of funding and then there was some waste or fraud and it's like well but you cut it was a criminal justice you seem uncertain about. I that. mean, that sounds right. right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It was. I mean, it was a part. And I remember you. Talk, I mean, I remember you. I remember there it, were a, a lot. I was kind of in yeah. and out on listening to it today. Also, another mo- uh, point of personal privilege here. Scott rolls his eyes at me. No, not, that, not at you. At what you're about to say. I think I know what you're about to say. But is that I just wish that the legislature would update some of their IT services oh, well. to the 21st century. It would not be that expensive. Um, and I know that like the Wi-Fi and some things in the building are going to be upgraded as part of the restoration. Right. But like House and Senate have entirely different systems. That's right. why they have different like nomenclatures for their emails. Right. They have different. It's all on separate servers, and they one of them um, like archives all the video. The other one doesn't. Um, the streaming capabilities are really crummy. I can watch a Tesla rocket fly into space yeah. without a blip. It's yeah. constant service. Yeah. Flying twenty thousand miles an hour into space and land again while the rockets fire and it barely gets blurry. But I can watch it on my phone, government. but I can't watch the guys six blocks away talk to one another on a stationary floor. Yeah, I, th- I th- that is a very valid point. I thought you were going to. <laughs> I sounded really angry about that. that I was... thought you. I thought you were going to reference the uh, accusation that uh, OU spends part of its higher ed dollars encouraging students to have abortions and. UCO spends. Did they part. say that today? Yeah, same guy, same <laughs> guy. Just for those playing the home game, we're talking about Repre- Representative John Bennett. This was his debate today, not Forrest Bennett, John Bennett. Uh, <laughs> they, who, by the way, was the only person not to vote uh, the other night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know did where you notice was. that. I did. He, uh, apparently, that he was dealing with a family situation. Uh, okay. I don't. Know, I haven't heard details of what it was. But and we, you know, we try not to call out legislators by name. Um, I think this Jay Bennett. Is a bit of a lightning rod for attention um, by everybody, yeah. um, and maybe we shouldn't give him that airtime. I, I mean, and that's—I mean, that's a—that's a legitimate. I mean, that's a—I mean, I think that's a legitimate uh, point. Um, if we have any listeners in Salazar who would like to run for office from any party, <laughs> right? Well, I, I even—and I even debated like whether to to put his name out there. Part of it is I just get tired of saying one legislator, one representative. This legislator, this because people want to know who it was. Yeah. But if anyone, I mean, and it's not like it's not public record, right? I mean, and it's you probably can go, true that our two listeners were watching the debate <laughs> right? anyway. Like you can, you can go look. It's just, but I mean, it's just, it's just really frustrating to rail on, you know, that there's, you know, there's this abuse and there's this waste, but then also here in the very next breath, we don't have any idea how they're spending their money. Well, then how do you know there's all this fraud, waste, and abuse, right? And you should, but just I would throw out there. You should know how they're spending their money, right? Every well, single year, OMES, the Office of Management and Enterprise Services, every year prepares a comprehensive annual financial report. That is part of their responsibility. It happens every single freaking year, and it's available for you to read. The state auditor inspector do a single audit report every single year. This is required of all activities that involve 
any federal dollars at all. And we get a fair number of federal dollars in Oklahoma. It's not like there's not any resources out there for you to know how agencies are spending their money, particularly when allocating uh, dollars to agencies is part of your job. Okay, so I'm just saying for any representatives that are listening, if you don't have any idea how agencies, state agencies are spending their money, you 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 can find out without having to conduct an independent specialized audit of every single state agency. I'm not saying that nothing's ever going to get missed. Obviously, the Department of Health um, is, a, is an example. But again, like you mentioned, it appears that it's not that there was a lack of auditing going on at the Department of Health. It's that the people that were running the department lied, right? They cooked the books. They didn't account properly and it wasn't caught because there was an intent to deceive. Well, and that's the other problem with that bill. And I know John, you had a comment, but the, with the health department, so they're going to give them the 30 million, but they're also, they have to promise to cut 15 million next year. And and that's, I have mixed feelings about that's, they're going to have to just lose the programs they should have lost slowly over the last 10 years right. they're going to lose them all at once in the personnel so i think one of our board members may be affected by that if he hasn't left already but go ahead oh i was only making uh, i was uh, a question you mentioned a, a single audit um being a man- mandated process for uh, agencies receiving federal funds i think i think there is like a baseline for that like you do have to receive seven hundred fifty thousand. okay Ooh. I, here's what I like about our podcast is that I learn something every week too. But and also I'm going to highlight for listeners at home that Scott has a binder. <laughs> I do. I binder, binder full of. Is it high, you have highlighting too? I thought we were making it a practice I mean, not to call things out. <laughs> I do. If it's uh, for people here at the table, it's okay. Well, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with having references. There's nothing. You were, <laughs> as I've said from the very beginning, you were. Very prepared. The very first time we recorded, John, we were upstairs at Scott's house, with the, and our table was a, uh, a a guitar case, guitar case on top of a trash can, and Scott, Scott laid papers out. He was putting them around the like one microphone between us, and uh, so the picture I have of him like getting into it with his arms in the air and just paper all around him. It was a good scene. You see, you know, the more the references, the more animation you get out of Scott Melson right. on these podcasts. This may be and and I'd also like to add that, video. That, that we got here and there were handouts. There were, yeah, yeah. So we actually have <laughs> Bill handouts, handouts which right now. this was not unlike JCAB, um, where they received the bill the moment they walked into the room. So did we. However, but, I'd actually seen it. For a little while longer than the representatives who had to vote on it this week. And my handout wasn't 57 pages. It was not. And to be fair, to the hardworking staff at the state capitol who have to prepare these things, my hunch is, like, the leadership, you know, or whomever makes decisions and says, all right, go type it up. And then uh, this, you know, whoever has to type it up has to, like, crank it out in that legalese language. And that's a really difficult thing to do under the gun. When it's like, man, it's late. Like, I got a family I got to go home to. You guys can't get your act together. Um, and so, really, hats off to all the hardworking staff. And to, I mean, the legislative assistants who have right. to field phone calls from all of us. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. on everybody. And they get questions about things that they can't do anything about. People get mad at them. It's not their fault. Um, they do have to, like anyone, has to do a lot of work. And they are some of the most knowledgeable yeah. people. Anyone I've met who used to be a legislative assistant they know what's going on knows what's going on and 
who's doing it and all that. So, and to be fair, these are folks that are affected when you have to have special sessions, right? Right. They got to come in and, you know, they're, they're folks that uh, had this part of the year block off to do probably other things. Yeah. And and they're here doing, trying to prepare their Thanksgiving dinner and get family organized. And here they are having to type up bills late at night. Yeah. And so, um, you know, our hats off to them. Absolutely. Working through this. So um, at the end of the day, this is, I mean, this is the bill that passed. Like this is the, it passed the house. Passed it's, narrowly. What was the final vote? Uh, 56, 38 today. Um, and it will go to be heard by the Senate tomorrow. Just not all of it. Not all um, of it. So the legacy wells goes tomorrow. Oh, and then the rest goes Friday. Rest okay. goes Friday. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, looking at the, I watched this week, the, the questionings, the questions, the debate and the votes in both in JCAB and on the floor. Um, I'm, I mean, I think it'll pass the Senate. I'm not 100% convinced it'll pass the Senate. I think it will. Yeah, it'll uh, be. It is not a slam dunk. No, I imagine it'll be close um, again because there's a, there were a lot of people that voted yes for the big budget bill the other day. They voted no on this bill. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, we had 71 people that voted yes for the other bill yeah. and only 56 that voted yes for yeah. this. Um, and that I think that is really interesting and really indicative of maybe where people's uh, attention lies no i mean 100 percent um and it it's i was kind of struck by the debate today because you had i think for the first no not for the first time this was true on the revenue bill last week um there were people debating against this measure today um, from both parties on right. both sides of the both sides of that representative thompson followed representative uh Bennett and had, I think, a fairly stirring debate against this. (laughs) It was just funny to me because he got up after he got after John Bennett and he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Just give me a minute. My head's kind of spinning a little bit from that last (laughs) debate, which I. It's funny when they throw shade on the House floor. Yeah. Yeah. They. um, Dude, Eccles is throwing shade on the House floor. Yeah, he was pretty upset. So I heard him on um, KOKC right afterwards. uh, I didn't catch a whole of the debate, but I listened to the radio this afternoon and, and caught his interview on there um, with Jason Doyle and Chad Alexander. That we, we were on with. We him. were on yeah. a few weeks ago. And um, he he probably had a couple of hours to stew on things and, and let some of it trickle out. And, you know, he made a good point that he doesn't understand people who voted no on both bills. Because it's like, okay, you don't like option A, you don't like option B. Yeah. What do you... Holding out for it. There's no, nothing else, man. Like, that's it's it. It's a reasonable question. <laughs> yeah, Chad made the same point of, like, uh, you got to vote for something. Like, But there's folks up there who probably vote no for anything. So, um, All right, so presumably it'll pass the Senate. Maybe yeah, yeah, close. I think, yeah, I think so. I think it'd be fun to, to take a prediction. I, I was mean, about to you, say that, you too. Know, <laughs> maybe bring in guest pickers sometime. Right, yeah. <laughs> we can't put this on predict it. You um, want to be your first, first guest picker right now. So what are, we, are we talking Thursday or Fridays? So we gotta we gotta see. Does the do we think that the uh, legacy wells, which we've decided is not only the name of this bill but also the name of a uh, subdivision in Edmond that Andy and I are gonna legacy develop? Well. Legacy wells. Oh. It should be. No, it's good. We're gonna develop it. Like this is our business plan uh, to support the pod because we only have two streets listeners. like Kingfisher in. I don't know. <laughs> Comanche. Yeah. Comanche Road. There's a neighborhood down near Houston, um, like in the Cypress Fairbanks area, Northwest Houston. Um, out on 290 and it's uh, I had a friend that lived in there and all the streets it's like they had two word banks of like adjectives and then um, plant names yeah. and so it's like whispering daisy and 
misty oak and stuff it's they're all real funny i think there's either a, a piece of software out there that generates these yeah. uh, names or there's a company and if so you know Offense, where do i sign up right yeah so it's i like, have no shortage it's like uh, paint colors. adjectives to throw together just because i always want to throw in a west wing reference anytime i can or a west wing weekly podcast reference if you don't listen to that guys you should um so mrs landingham was president bartlett's secretary um, and the West Wing Weekly guys created a random name generator to come oh, right. up with uh, potential replacement secretaries for President Bartlett. Um, and the names are, because it is, they like put in some specific parameters and all the names they came up with were like Landingham or Devonshire or very, yeah. like, it was very, all very British sounding. Yeah. And it's very similar, I think, to some of these like subdivision names out in, you know, kind of more, more the, the suburbs. You just think like, where did they right. come up with this? But all right. So we've got two bills. In two places, it's got to pass the Senate, and then the governor's got to sign both of these bad boys. So um, the legacy wells and then the budget itself. Do John, what's your prediction on um, I don't know how to do this? Percentage chance that it do over passes? Just set a, maybe maybe set a percentage pass. or do an over under. Um, how, let's go. How many votes do you think it will garner okay. from the Senate? Okay. So if there's uh, so legacy wells Thursday, legacy wells Thursday from the Senate, how many votes? There's 48 seats, but two of them are new, so there's 46, 46 possible. 36. 36, says John. Scott? Uh, it's going to pass with 40 in favor, 60 against, 6 against. 40, all right. Scott, John, 36, 40. I will say 34. Mm. Okay, conservative. Right. Conservative. And then um, we'll go in reverse order this time, just to be fair. So for the budget bill, I say we'll pass. Um, you know, I'm going to go back. Can I, anybody want to reconsider the vote on the first one? No? no I'm going to stick, stick with 36. All right. What did you, you said what? You said 36. I said 36. 36 and 10, right? 36. Yeah. yeah and you said what? You said 36. I said 34. What's, we need half of 56, which yeah. is 28. I'm gonna say. You know what? I'm, I do. I'm, I, I, I mean, I you had, came in heavy there. I Scott. did. I, mean, I had neglected to consider that this is a revenue raising measure. Yeah, but, but it only requires 51. percent So I'm actually gonna go the other direction. I'm gonna say 30. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back off and say 32. You're saying 32. You're going 30, lower, huh? 32, 14. All right. Um. All right. So on the budget. Sorry. So let's back up. Legacy wells. Um. John says 36. Yes. Scott says 32. Yes. I said 34. Yes. We're pretty even there. Um, and then on the budget, I'm going to say 32 on the budget. Nah. Yeah, 32. 32 on the budget. Um, what do you guys say? Doctor? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad budget bill for you. 31. 31. See, I was going to come in at 31. Yeah, I should have taken my opportunity. <laughs> you, you no, no, no. I. You know what? I'm going to. So you're at 32. Yeah. The doctor's at 31. I'm going to do the prices right thing here and go, I'm going to go 30. 30? Just, just to undercut. That's what I almost okay. changed you know, it to. I, right? I think 31 is a good, I think, yeah. I think they're all good yeah. um, guesses. All right. So then the next one's just yes or no. Um, 
Does pass, sign it? pass or not from the governor, which is, I heard today someone that said she might not. She said she won't if it contains just cuts. Brett, so but, Brett Bagansi, Bagansi, is that how you say his last name? Uh, from KOC's Worth KOCO. Um, he put out today, and I've, I got to agree, everything that Governor Fallon was putting out on social media today suggests that she is not a fan of this She's package. not, but... Um, now, she has said not once, not twice, but I think three times now that there are bills that she would veto and that hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, you gotta... I don't know. Am I, am, am I first this time? Do I go... Yes, go for it, Scott. I would say the governor... She will sign the Legacy Wells yep. bill. Yes, and then go for budget, too. Yeah, she will. Mr. Rourke points at me. I'll say she signs both with a strongly worded press release following. Oh, mm. nice. That's like that's like your own personal signing statement. Well, we all know it's going to happen from everybody, <laughs> right? Right. right. I mean, that's a, an interesting spot I'm now in, right? So uh, I, I'm inclined to initially agree with both of you, but to... You, you want know. to disagree just for the sake for drama? Well, we'll do a little. We'll make it a little interesting, right? It's not. It's not fun if we all all do the same. Then we're not playing for anything, right? right. So uh, I'm gonna say that she does sign uh, Legacy Wells, right. and does not sign the budget. All right. All right so interesting. Real... I think. I think that if it goes, if it goes any way that's kind of unexpected, that's the way it's gonna go. I think you're right. right. Do so. What happens if she doesn't sign it? And this will be. We'll kind of wrap up here. Uh, it will come back. The question would be: Do they have enough? Do they have enough to override the veto if she were to veto the budget? And I don't really think that they do. Oh, um, right. Man, we haven't seen that in a while. Right. So they'd have to. So interestingly, it takes more of a majority to raise taxes than to override a veto. Um, it only takes a two-thirds majority, I think, to override the veto. So it'd be sixty-six um, in the house. I don't think that they have that. I don't know. I mean, it passed fifty-six thirty-eight today. I don't know if they could find another ten votes. Yeah, man. And if they don't. December 1st is just around the corner. They'd right. have to hustle and work weekends. I, I think in that case, what I think would happen, I think that if she was to veto, it comes back. They cannot override the veto. I think they would go back to plan A. I think they would introduce another version of the original revenue package that has that's interesting the cigarette tax, gross production tax. On I think that's what they would do. But because I think because I think it is more likely you could move that vote from 71 yeses to 76 yeses. It's more likely you could you could move that vote than it is that you could move fifty six to sixty six right. on this package and override the veto. That's fair. I think that's probably true. You can probably twist five arms about that one thing that had such broad support easier than you can. This. Especially because half the people that voted no are people that have pretty lucrative. I shouldn't say lucrative. Pretty um, choice committee chairmanships, right? If leadership really wants to move that vote, you say, "Hey, you vote my way, or you're, you're going to lose your chairmanship." Which sounds like you're playing dirty politics, but that's something that happens all the time. That's funny because that now I'm like, ooh, that would be kind of cool. Uh, when normally I'm like, oh, that's bad. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's 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 a very common do. way, both at the federal and state level, for sure. leadership to kind of exert their. Except will for some on the of these caucus. folks are on their way out anyway, and they don't really care if they lose their last year. Well, there's some protest votes in there, right? Like there are some folks that are like, you know, I'm, I'm I won't be back. So yeah. right, and there's you know um, rumors. Votes. Yeah, well, and there's some rumors that. Um, there was some horse trading going on behind the scenes that like, if you give me five yeses, I'll give you five more no's. And that it was, um, you know, representative Osborne kind of said from the beginning, this was orchestrated, um, to fail. 
Um, Representative Eccles took issue with that on the radio today, and I think on the floor, from what yes. I understand. Yes. Um, and you know what? I don't know. I wasn't in those meetings, right. so I could believe it um, both ways. I mean, yeah. it could whatever. Um, if, if, if Governor Fallon was to veto, I think that's what happens. I think it they, it goes back to the House. They don't have another ten votes to override the veto. They go back to the original revenue package. I'll, I'll go for broke here. They go back to the original bill, and it passes. As and, is. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Dun, dun, dun. That, that's all contingent on the what I think is a pretty unlikely scenario that the governor exercises and her veto power. Listen, for the sake of the mental health of millions of Oklahomans and the number of NSs I have to consume during this and for our friends in the media and everyone else, um, I just wanted to end that soon. Yes. Because yes. December 1st is two weeks from today, yes. right? Fact. And if it if something if this or something else doesn't pass by December first, yeah. those three agencies have to cut. Yep. It can as long as that's passed, they're okay. But yeah. that mean and because there's those delays in there, they'd have to come back. We won't know Friday. They'd have to come back Monday and like really hustle, and then maybe they pass might. Have, the I mean, they might have to come back over the Thanksgiving weekend. Like it's not. Yeah, they can't do it on like a Saturday or Sunday. But like they'd have to come back potentially on like that Saturday or man, that is just political suicide. If, I mean, and it's interesting. I mean, the gov- governor Fallon said last week that, I mean, it was, I think by far her most strongly worded statement. She was like, I don't care. Like we will, st-. she's like, I'll stay here till Christmas. Like it does not matter. Oh, that's right. To me. I mean, and, and I mean, and again, it's a little kind of, a, it's kind of a what she girl who cried wolf situation, right? Like she's said repeatedly that like she's threatened the veto and hasn't, hasn't exercised it. But I mean, this was, this wasn't a tweet. This wasn't a prepared statement. This was just off the cuff, on the off the cuff, on the rotunda, in a Q and A with reporters. Like, I don't find this acceptable at all. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I will post our predictions here, uh, maybe tomorrow morning. We'll see what happens. Um, I guess we're all all eyes on the Capitol this weekend. Hey, Joe. Thanks for coming in, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I was, yeah. uh, I thought we had a great time. We appreciate you being a guest on the pod. If you could uh, become a listener, that would also be just awesome. I'm listening to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Big thanks to John Rourke uh, for being with us tonight. Um, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Let's Fix This Okay. I, Andy, is at AndyOKC. Scott is at SC Melson. John is not on Twitter. And you can also like our Facebook page uh, at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. Our website is let's fix this okay.org. And you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find details about upcoming events. We're going to be doing a Christmas card event uh, like we did last year for legislators, probably in December. Um, I don't have that date yet. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and myself. And uh, thanks to Scott's wife for letting us use her dining room to record tonight (laughs) and last week and I think the week before that. Um, We are a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network, and our theme music is provided by the Sugar Free All-Stars. And as a reminder, Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can. Remember, decisions are made by those who what, John? We're the squeakiest wheels. Squeakiest wheels. That's pretty close. Oh, my God.
Decisions are made by those who show up. So show up. 